Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Psalm 121, and um, this is our second night in this series road trip playlist. Uh, Call it that because uh, Psalm 120 to 134 are all Psalms of Ascent. If you look uh, right above the first verse, it will say that, or King James says a song of degrees. Uh, What it's talking about there is these are songs um, that God's people would sing uh, as they traveled from all over Israel up to Jerusalem for uh, one of the, the major feast days, festivals, where they would go and assemble uh, for worship. And so these are songs they would sing on their way there. And uh, let's read now Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's pray. God, what a wonderful eight verses you've given to us in this short Song. What an encouraging eight verses uh, that remind us uh, to lift up our eyes uh, to the hill of your providence for us, the hill of your presence, the hill of your protection, the hill of your preservation. And these are all true for us in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd reveal that truth to us this evening, that we leave here encouraged by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got four hills here that... Um, God encourages us to lift up our eyes to, to look to for our help and for our hope. Uh, The very first one is the hill of God's providence in verses 1 and 2. This is the tallest one. Verse 1 says, I'll lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Now, uh, that sentence may end in a different way depending on what English translation you have. If you have an older one like the King James or the New King James, or even ones that are older, like Geneva Bible or Darby translation, probably ends in a period. If you have a newer translation, it may end in a question mark. There's no punctuation marks in Hebrew. (laughs) So um, we have to uh, guess what is the intended uh, meaning here. Is it a sentence? I I believe it is uh, a declaration. It's not a, a question. But I don't think the NIV or Holman Christian Standard or any of the newer translations are wrong for putting it as a question, as long as they don't read too much into that. Some people say, well, they put it as a question there, and like David or whoever wrote this, the psalmist, he's trying to figure out where, where do I need to go for help? I don't think that's 
in the context here, he's not trying to figure that out. He knows where to go for help. It's very clear. Uh, and so that's why I do think it's better as, as a statement, a declarative sentence. I'll lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. That's where my help comes from. You need to remember the context of what's going on here. These are people, God's people from all over Israel that are traveling up. Jerusalem's always up. Doesn't matter if you live in the north and you're actually going south to Jerusalem. It's always up because it's a city that's on a hill. <laughs> and the temple is on a hill. All right, and so they're all going up. They're lifting their eyes up as they're traveling toward Jerusalem. Uh, the hills are not a source of his trouble here. I've, I've heard some people say that. Well, when on their travels, they were worried about robbers and bandits on the hill. The hills are not the source of his trouble. It's very clear in this psalm, the hills are the solution to any trouble he might have. The hills are the location of the center of corporate worship for them. A place that was symbolic of. A place that communicated God's presence to his people. Not entirely different than church is for us. You can feel God's presence anywhere. When you're by yourself in bed. Uh, when you're praying. In times of desperation. You can feel God's presence. But there is a special sense of God's presence that he gives to us when we assemble together. And that's what they were looking to here. I'm looking forward as we're traveling. I can't wait till we get there and we can all worship the Lord together and be encouraged by that. Is, is that where we look to? Is that where we go for help? Don't you think about that? When you're anxious, when you're struggling with fear, struggling with the circumstances that cause fear, uh, is that where you go? Do you lift up your eyes to this hill of God's providence, God's presence? In corporate worship, even specifically, I'm afraid we're prone to undervalue, especially in our culture, to undervalue um, this gift from God. I know I'm preaching to the choir on a Wednesday night. I mean, here's a bunch of people that came out in the middle of the week to assemble. You, you understand how important corporate worship is. It's four years ago, right about now, four years ago, when COVID came our way. And um, a lot of discussion was happening about what is essential and what's non-essential. And there's a lot of people who deemed church as non-essential, especially unbelievers. They couldn't understand why do you, you know, the government deemed the ABC store essential, but, um, but to them church was non-essential. And I remember thinking, I remember hearing people, well, well, where do they get that idea? How do they come up with the idea that church is non-essential? I remember preaching a message in May of that year and, and one of the themes of that message was they got that idea from us. We, we told them church was non-essential. And we told them travel ball is essential. Or golf is essential. And you fill in the blank with whatever. So where does our help come from? It comes from God. It comes from his providence. Once you look at verse 2 now. It gives us the answer to the question. Even if one is a question, it gives us the answer to it uh, there. It expands on it, explains this statement from verse 1. Verse 2 says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So our, our help comes from the Lord. He's looking past the hills to the one who created the hills. Now who made heaven and earth? The Lord. But specifically, what does God's word tell us? Who made heaven and earth? Who's the creator? John chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, who was with God, who was God. All things were created by Him. 
by Jesus. Colossians 1, 16 names Jesus as the creator and sustainer. Hebrews chapter 1, the same. He, Jesus is the creator and sustainer. He is our help. He is where we're to place our hope. And the very first step of doing that is lifting our eyes to him as our great provider. Lifting our eyes beyond the hills to the one who actually made them. And as we've journeyed through 120 psalms now, I, I have encouraged you to look for Jesus in these songs. I know they were written centuries before he actually came to earth in Bethlehem, but Jesus is present in all the Psalms. Here in Psalm 121, we're encouraged to lift up our eyes to Jesus right off the bat in verses 1 and 2. It's Jesus who made heaven and earth. Jesus is our help. And now, we've got some smaller foothills. Let's call them that, right? So the main hill we're lifting our eyes up to is God and God's providence and what he provides for us. But here's some examples of his providence. We could call them smaller foothills. And so secondly, we've got the hill of God's presence in verses three and four. Here's the first of three things that God provides for us in Jesus. The first of three smaller hills that we are to lift our eyes up toward as we follow Christ in this world, the hill of God's presence. Not something that's already been highlighted because they were all going up to corporate worship where they would sense God's presence. Uh, we're blessed. They, they did not meet every, every Sunday like we do, every Wednesday. A couple times a year, they would all get together to go to worship. They did not have the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling them like we do. And indwelling us all together in an even greater way when we meet uh, together for worship. So they're going up there. God's presence already been highlighted as they, they travel that way in verses 1 and 2. But if you look at verse 3, it says, He will not suffer, again, talking about the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, Jesus. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. That's especially pertinent when you're traveling. Uh, they weren't doing it by car. They were walking. Uh, I haven't been there. Rodney, you have. Jerusalem, Israel, steep. Terrain in places, rocky, slippery, right? Hot, dry, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, this, this was a great promise for them. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. You know, God promises to those who are his in Isaiah 30, verse 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right, whenever you turn to the left. And verse 3 asks us to lift up our eyes to the hill of God's presence, God's presence toward us, and Jesus Christ. Our foot will not be moved. We won't slip. Instead, we're standing firm. We're on firm footing in Jesus. He is where we stand. He is in whom we stand. In Christ, we stand in the gospel. That's what 1 Corinthians 15.1 says. In Christ, we stand in grace. Romans 5.2. In Christ, we stand in grace by faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.24. In Christ, we stand in Christian liberty. Praise the Lord. Not under the law anymore. Galatians 5.1. In Christ, we stand in Christian unity together. Philippians 1.27. And all of this because we stand in Christ who will not suffer our foot to be moved. And verses 3 and 4, they also tell us that he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 3. He won't sleep. Uh, one's like a short nap in the Hebrew. The other is a, well, you, your eight hours you get at night, hopefully. And we're reminded here that God's presence is a constant presence. Keepeth. So it says, uh, he that keepeth thee will not uh, slumber. Keepeth, that's the first uh, six times in the rest of this psalm that that word is used. Now in English, it's here in the King James, it's translated, I think, uh, preserve and preserveth and things like that. It's all, all keepeth, shamar is the Hebrew word. 
So six times he says, I, I keep you. I keep you from this. I keep you from that. It's a God who keeps us. He's present. And the point is that God watches over us like a bodyguard uh, who's on 24-7 duty. And the encouraging reality that God does this for us in Jesus Christ is so powerful that the psalmist in this song, he barely mentions any fear or any dangers that might be causing fears because he's so overwhelmingly smitten by God's constant presence. It drives away any of those fears. Uh, for you and I, as followers of Christ, Jesus is our constant presence in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. When Jesus promised him in John 14, 16 to 18, in verse 23, he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. And another doesn't mean different. It means another one just like me. Only it's going to be better because I'll be with you all at all times, no matter where you are. And Jesus said that he may abide with you forever. He's the spirit of truth, for he dwelleth with you. And he's going to be in you. It's God the Father. Verse 23 says, uh, Jesus said, God the Father and myself, we will come and make our abode with you. I'm going to dwell. I'm going to take up residence uh, in your life. Constant presence. O only our God is like this. He's omnipresent, always on duty. He's always present with us. Do you remember the confrontation in 1 Kings 18 between Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And Elijah gave them their chance to prove that Baal was God. And for hours, all day long, really, they, they ran around and chanted and even cut themselves. And, and at one point, as it got in the early afternoon, Elijah said to them, maybe you need a call louder. Is it possible that Baal is asleep? You know, and, and it was kind of mockingly, but honestly, you can look at um, cultural things from back in that day, Assyrian uh, cuneiform tablets and, and artwork and a lot of gods from back then they're pictured in places sleeping to us that's unthinkable because <laughs> we have this verse and other verses that tell us God doesn't do that and he doesn't need that but for them that, that was a reality not our God he never, he never slumbers he never sleeps Charles Haddon Spurgeon he told the story of a, a poor Middle Eastern woman hundreds of years ago and she came to the, her ruler he's a sultan and she, she said, hey, during the night, somebody came in and robbed me, stole everything I have. She wanted justice. And he said, well, how in the world did that happen? How could he break in you didn't know about? It? She said, well, I was sleeping. And he asked her, well, why in the world did you fall asleep? And she said to him, because I believe that you were awake. As our leader, you were on duty protecting us. It reminded me when I was in the military, and you might have heard it. I heard it a lot, a quote. I can't remember who... Uh, who said it, but um, and we sleep safely at peace at night in our beds because there are rough men who stand ready to visit violence on those who would do us harm. You were able to sleep last night in peace because of our military, because of our police officers, because of those who are protecting us. It's kind of the same situation. Do you like sleep? Krista laughed. She likes sleep. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. Don't, don't make fun of her for that. God created it for us, Amen. all right? Uh, and we need it. You like sleep, Mike? Yeah. I heard a story about Vietnam. If you get, had a dog with you and, and you thought so, you could sleep, the dog would look up. He would look up. Well, Moses barks. When Moses barks, I get up and check out what he's barking at. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we need sleep. Uh, but God never does. He doesn't ever need sleep. When we... Here's some things that we ought to be reminded of tonight, all right? Um, when, when it's time for bed. 
You ought to be reminded, one thing that sleep reminds us of, you are not in control of your life. For five, eight hours, whatever you get, you, you're really not in control of anything. You, can, you can't really even control your dreams. You're not in control. You're trusting your life to God. That is a gift from God. He was reminding you at least every day when you go to bed, you're not in control, but I am. I love you and I've got you. Think of that tonight when you go to sleep. Remind yourself of that tomorrow morning. Uh, sleep for us in that way, it's, it's almost like a daily Sabbath, a powerful testimony that God cares for you. That's actually what allows us to sleep. Sometimes we can't sleep. It might be because we're not applying this truth. This reality that God doesn't sleep and he's watching us and he's present, he's protecting us. If anxiety is causing us to be sleepless, we should remember what God had David say in Psalm 4 eight: I will both lay me down and sleep in peace. For thou, O Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Safety. It's not my dog. It's not any firearms I have in the house that's going to protect me. Who's going to protect me? God. Jesus Christ. The one who's present, provides for me, protects me. Thou, O Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Nothing else can give us the confidence to doze off or the serenity that will lead to sleep like us knowing and applying to our lives the main theme of this psalm. We have a God who provides for us. That's that first hill. And the second one, he's present all the time, constantly present. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. And now we've got another hill to consider in verses 5 and 6, the hill of God's protection the second of three things that God provides for us in Jesus. Verse 5 says, The Lord is thy keeper. The second time that's used. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. So he's our shade. Do you remember when Israel left Egypt in the Exodus and they're traveling to Canaan? Uh, what did God use to lead them during the day? A cloud, right? And I don't know. I mean, I saw the little flannel graphs on Sunday school and I understand what's going on there. But I guess for most of my I just see it as, okay, oh, we're supposed to go that way, and we're, okay, now we go this way. It wasn't just that, was it? It was shade. <laughs> and that scorching Middle Eastern sun as they wandered around what is modern-day Saudi Arabia trying to get uh, up to Canaan. He's our shade, and he's at our right hand, meaning he's always close by. Uh, now, Matthew Henry, commentator from hundreds of years ago, he said, we always need to remember, too, though, the right hand is the working hand. And so when we think of God's providence and his presence and his protection, we should never consider those things cause for resignation on our part. Like, well, a total let go and let God thing. I'm not going to do anything about it. But rather, we should see those things as the context where we can confidently work in him and, and through him. In his presence and in his protection and through those things. Verse 6 talks about the sun, Right? The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. And so the sun provides heat and warming. But sometimes it can get too hot and too warm, especially when you're from Wisconsin. And the moon um, is cold. It's always moisture at night. That's when he led them with a pillar of fire, warmed them there. And neither of these two things are a threat when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, God's presence, God's protection toward us. I, I like what Scott said. Scott said this about a year ago. Um, and I, I do. I've, I have come to enjoy the summers down here even more than the winters because it's still pretty cold here in the winter. It's not like Wisconsin cold, but it's cold. And Scott said, uh, heat is uncomfortable. 
But cold can be painful sometimes. And it can. Neither of these things are a threat to us in Jesus Christ. How is God our protection in Jesus? We go to the ultimate protection we have, and that's our salvation from the penalty of sin. He protects us from the destiny that every one of us are our default destiny. We're born into this world, headed for an eternity in hell apart from, apart from God. Jesus protects us from that by offering us salvation. When we put our faith and trust in him, we're protected from the penalty of sin. He also protects us from the power of sin. In Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin. We can say no to sin. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ will teach us and, and he'll guide us when we need protection. Let's look at the last one, the hill of God's preservation, verses 7 and 8. So here's the third of three things that God provides for us in Jesus. Verse 7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. And so we've considered so far the effect of Jesus keeping us. We're protected. But what's the extent? What's the extent of his keeping us? Are there any caveats? Are there any exclusions that God's promise doesn't apply to? What about what I'm going through right now? What about uh, that dreaded diagnosis that might be ahead? Well, what does it say here that God will do for us in Jesus Christ in verse 7? The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He'll shamar. He'll keep you from all evil. Now, I want you to consider something, and you might already be. Is this my experience? Jesus follower, do you really believe this? Because that's what God's word says here. Jesus will keep you from all evil. Is God's word true? Okay, well, we got, let's, start, let's start with that. That's a good place to start. And before we answer, though, please understand, it does not say here that we will never experience what feels like evil. <laughs> it does not say here that we will never experience what seems like pure evil. God's word, it does not promise us in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon will ever be formed against us. It says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. In Psalm 23, what does God say there? Does he say we'll never go through the valley of the shadow of death? No, he says you will. <laughs> and when you do, I will be with you. The ever-present, good shepherd, Jesus Christ, he's got a rod, he's got a staff, and they comfort us, provide us comfort. As we go through, because there is a through, right? We go through that valley. Or any other one. So let's consider a few things. In light of verse 7, in this claim, because this is, this is a substantial claim. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Do we have a God who takes what our enemies, especially Satan, who takes what our enemies mean for evil but turns it for our good? Yeah. That's the promise in Romans 8, 28. Yeah, that's a prom that is the record from Genesis to Revelation. Let's talk about Genesis, right? Think back to Joseph. Was that not his experience? Man, this whole first part of his life was a lot of semen like evil type of stuff. But that was actually Joseph's statement at the end of his life. When, when God turned everything for his good. He told that to his brothers. That, that was Joseph's testimony. And, and so then, is it possible that anything evil, and I'll put that in quotes. Because things that are evil from our mortal human estimation. Uh, from our own limited, not, not omniscient perspective. Is it possible that anything evil that I am, that I have, or that I will experience, that it might not necessarily be evil, at least in the way we're thinking of it, 
But just like the testimony of Joseph back in Genesis, that while it might be meant for evil toward us, that it's designed by God for my good and for his glory. I think that's exactly what God's talking about here in verse 7. Uh, let me read for you a couple of verses in 1 Peter uh, 1, 6 through 9. This is a passage that our guys have been going over in a Bible study recently. But listen to what God has Peter say here. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold, temp these are manifold temptations. These are Christians who are being lit on fire because they wouldn't recant their faith. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, that it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Yeah, it's meant for my good and for God's glory. Here's the God's glory part, verse 7. That it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And here's the my good part. You receive the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, because you remain faithful. And you put your faith in the God who provides and who's ever present and who protects and who preserves you. And you said, I'm going to believe verse 7. God is worthy of my belief in it. Now, you, you know well by now that God teaches us in his word that any evil that comes our way, there's always two designs. That Satan has an intent in it and it's for the destruction of our faith. And that God has a purpose in any evil that might come our way. It's always for the opposite. His intent is for the construction of our faith. I hope you know that. And I say all of this here to put some power back into verse 7. Not that it didn't have that power. It's always had that power. But, but we have diluted it with, with our doubt. If we believe what God says is true. Um, verse 7 is true. The Lord will preserve thee. He'll keep you from all evil. William Plummer and his commentary on the psalm wrote this. I, I thought it was amazing. Even good, godly, faithful men, we must be very unbelieving to make it necessary for God Almighty so often to assure us here in these eight verses of his providence and his protection and his presence and his preserving. And that's why he's telling us, lift up your eyes to these things. Lift up your eyes. Verse 8 gets a little more specific in case we think, well, you know what? Maybe my thing is the thing that doesn't apply here. Something I'm going through or some aspect of our lives is beyond God's promise in verse 7. What does he say in verse 8? The Lord shall preserve that going out and that coming in. So when you leave here tonight, you're going out. And actually, you're coming in, right? You're coming in at home. But when you get up tomorrow morning, you go out, the Lord will preserve you. When you're going out for lunch, he'll preserve you. And when you're coming home, you're going in, he'll preserve you. God will provide in his presence protection. He'll preserve you. A promise for the present and the future. The last part of it says, from this time forth and forevermore. And I love the way this psalm ends. Because, I mean, could there be a more strong or, or a more sweeping pledge that's made by God to you in Jesus Christ? You're preserved from all evil forever. If you know Jesus as your Savior, that's his promise to you. How is God our preservation in Jesus? Well, listen to what Jesus said in John 6, 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but I'll raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life. And I'll raise him up on that last day. 
This is what is ours from God here in these eight verses. In Jesus Christ, I will keep you from all evil. I'll preserve your soul. I'll preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Now, that's a good road, Saul. Psalm 121, it propels us on our own pilgrimage in this world. It's encouraging us with this truth. It reminds us repeatedly here of everything God is for us in Jesus Christ. And so when we find ourselves in an unexpected place, life is not going how we thought it would, or it's going at an unplanned pace, and when some unexpected, maybe, maybe even seemingly evil thing happens on our journey, on our pilgrimage, may we never forget that nothing has ever happened, is happening, or will happen apart from the providence and presence, protection and preservation of our God, who is all-powerful, and he's always good. Will you fix your eyes on these hills? On your journey, your life journey with Jesus, will you recognize him in all these ways? Will you praise him tonight for who he is? Will you believe in him? Will you believe what he said in these eight verses? Tommy, praise team, will you come and lead us in a time to worship the Lord?